You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. As we've been going through a series um, in Lent, as we focus on some attributes of why Jesus came, this morning I want to talk to you about the extent of the grace of Jesus and why He came to the earth. And this is really significant for, for us, okay? And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at an an old parable that we've, we've covered in the past, and it's a familiar parable. But I want us to, as we go through here, we're going to talk about two things. Is that we're going to talk about the extent of the love of Jesus, and, and why He came to earth, and what His grace covers. But then we're also going to look at how our hearts have to be aligned with that truth, and the importance of it. And this is a rather simple message, in all honesty. This is something that... We kind of all know, but it's a fresh reminder of this grace, especially at this time of year. There's probably not a better time for us to be reminded of this truth, if we're honest. And to really let the Holy Spirit speak to us and maybe, maybe challenge us. Because this will definitely be challenging. And so the parable that we're going to look at today is the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. And I'm going to give you a scripture reference, but I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to paraphrase most of it and pay attention to some certain parts. In Luke 15, verses 11 through 32, this story is very familiar. Jesus tells a story about a man who has two sons. And basically the way that we read this is we kind of see it like this. We see it as a good son and a bad son. Now anybody with kids might get this, right? (laughs) There's always one. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've got five and I've got none. Thank you, Jesus. I really have great kids. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of wondering how that happened, too. But um, So we read this parable and we look at it like that. We see there's a good son and there's a bad son. Well, why do we think that? Well, in case you don't know the parable, the, and the parable is, a, is what it means is a story. It's a story that Jesus told. It's not true. It's not something that actually happened. But Jesus told it to bring out a point. And as Jesus tells his story, he said that there's one son, the man has an inheritance. And the way that it was with the culture then is that the the heirs of the inheritance could invoke their inheritance. They could get what was was owed to them before the dad passed away. That's not what we do today most of the time. Most of the time somebody has to pass away before you get the inheritance and the will is assigned to you. But here in antiquity what we see is this, is that that they could receive it. So one son, what we call the bad son, right? Um, he goes and he says, look, dad, I want my share of the money. Show me the money. And his dad says, okay, here's what you got. Boom. Liquidates it, sends him on his way. And of course, we know the story. The son goes out and he parties. He goes and he wastes the money to the point where he's broke. And that happens, doesn't it? We go, oh, what a dumb son. <laughs> What a foolish son. And then this son gets to a place of destitution where his life is so shattered he hits rock bottom and he begins to uh, beg for something and he gets a job feeding pigs. And as he's feeding the pigs, this, this eureka moment, this revelation hits him. His stomach is hungry, his heart is broken, his soul is heavy. And he goes and he says, oh, I long for the, 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 the junk That I'm feeding the pigs, the husks of corn, that I'm feeding the pigs. Now, you've got to be in a very bad place to think that what you are feeding a pig is appetizing. You have to be in a broken place. Now, here's why I'm telling you this. is not to beat a dead horse on this parable, but to tell you that Jesus knew exactly what he was saying when he was preaching or speaking this parable. He wanted the hearer to understand the depth of depravity that this son was in. He wanted to understand that this is not an uncommon thing. And that the natural reaction would be this. Oh, he deserves what he got. Jesus was invoking something. He was stirring the hearts of the hearers. And he stirs our heart today, doesn't he? Because our natural reaction is good. Good. That's what you get. That's what you get for checking it out early. That's what you get for taking your dad's money and living carelessly and partying. That's what sinful living will get you. And we want to do that, don't we, if we're honest, don't we? 
And Jesus knew that. And this son goes and says, look, it's a long shot, but my dad's servants live better than this. I'm going to trade in my, 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 my sonship and say, dad, I'll come in as a slave. Just let me come back. And the story goes that the son, and he does the walk of shame like none other. And his head is dragging and his body's dragging. But there's a different position that Jesus switches to that's beautiful and it's marvelous. And it should make you tear up and it should bring some, uh, some joy to your heart. Because there's somebody else that's waiting. And the person that's waiting is a father. And if we could see this in, the, in terms of today's movies, what we would see is a dad that went out to the edge of his property, to the gate line of his property every morning. And maybe he grabbed his cup of coffee. And maybe he brought out his dog down to the fence line and let him run. And he would just stare out into the distance of his property. And his older son might wonder, hey, why is dad doing that? And the servants may wonder, why is the master doing that? But in the master's heart, in the father's heart, he knew exactly what he was doing, is that he was looking for somebody, wasn't he? And on the day, he saw what he had been looking for, day in and day out, maybe, when his dejected son comes limping back to him, Jesus tells a parable that this man, the master, the father, breaks out into a sprint and runs after his son. And he begins to rejoice. And he looks at him and the son says, Dad, I've been a bad son. I've been foolish. I want to be a slave. And he looks at him and says, no way. It's impossible. Now listen, stop. Oh. I'm not going to run on chairs. All right. Listen, Jesus knew what he was saying. Thank you, Jesus. Who's the, who's the master? Who's the father in this story? It's God. Who's the lost son? It's you and me. Who's the good son? It's you and me too. See, Jesus knew what he was saying. He said, there's no way in the world that you could ever be anything less than a son to me. It's impossible. Because you came from me. I, I redeemed you. I, I, I bore you. You are mine. You'll never be a slave. And so the story goes, the parable goes on as he kills the fattened calf. He puts his robe around him, his ring on his finger. He restores his identity. He throws a party. And then this is where I want to come to today. Is a position of the older son. In verse 25 of Luke 15, Scripture says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. Look, dad. And you could just see his positioning in this. Look, dad. You don't get it. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand that this isn't just something that is upsetting to me, but it's offensive to me in my core. Look. All these years I've been slaving for you. And you never diso and I never disobeyed your orders. Boop. Park the bus. The positioning of the older son has been off base for a long, long time. Jesus is striking a parallel here, and it has two implications, and I want you to hear this. We're just digging a smidge deeper into this parable really quick, because he understands his audience, and he knows he's speaking to Jews, and he understands that they think that they belong to God through certain things that really didn't connect them into him, because they could not see Jesus as a Messiah. But he's also speaking to our hearts. And he's speaking to the positioning of our heart that sometimes we can gather and get on us when we don't appropriate the love of the Father even though we are in his house. Because the language of the older son is profound. 
is profound. He says, Dad, I've been slaving. Whoop. You have been living in the house of a man that never one time considered any of his children a slave. And he proves it and verifies it through the rebellion of the younger son when he comes back and reaches out to him and wraps him up and says, you'll never be a slave. How does that get misguided in our hearts? And then the second thing that this son did was a stamp of identification. And he goes, I never disobeyed you. I'm better than my brother. Oh, whew. We have to protect our hearts, don't we? Let's talk about this. Okay. All right. So we see here these different people. And I want to suggest to you this morning again that the, the master, the father, is Jesus. It's God. It's the reflection of the love of God. It's a metaphor for his heart, for us, for creation, for humanity, for the, that which he loves. And again, as far as the sons go, we are both we have been far from God, but some of us have been in the church or been in the faith and our journey so long that we've lost touch with the lostness of our past. We've lost some touch on that, that big picture of grace, haven't we? And in order to understand the perspective of the magnitude of why Jesus came, and this is where I want to get to today, is understand why Jesus came and what he came to do and, and what, what brings joy to his heart, then we too have to have a shift in our own hearts. And it has to do something. It has to move us. It has to move us. So let's talk about this. What was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? I want to just read you a couple of passages and I want to encourage you to take notes. You can write these down or write the passages down. In Luke 19.10, we see that one of the reasons why Jesus came was to save those who were lost. To save those who were lost. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came for those who were far from Him. The second is this. Is He came for those who were broken in body and soul. And in Mark 2.17, it says this, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see a trend building on why Jesus came to earth. In Mark 10.45, this is what we see is that Jesus came to ransom His life. It says this in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. And this conversation happens in conjunction with a conversation with James and John. And this is why this is significant, because if we want to look at it in this perspective, I want you just in grace to see this, is that this is what we would call an inside church conversation. And James and John, who were two dear, beloved uh, disciples of Jesus, they come and they ask Him, Hey Jesus, when it all goes down and You're in heaven and all that, can we be at Your right and Your left side? And I love Jesus' response. My response would have been way different. I'd have been like, shut up. Get, get, get out of here. Go. Go make a sandwich or something. Go find Martha. I don't know. Like, it would have just been totally different. But Jesus has an astounding amount of patience with these guys. And he, and he basically explains this. And he, he, he bookends it with this statement. And he wants them to understand the nature and the purpose of his coming. And therefore, the nature and the purpose of the kingdom, which is the extent to us. And he's saying, listen, that if your hopes are to be elevated within the kingdom, that you're seeing things the wrong way. Because this is the reason why I came, and thus should be your motivation. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And he was letting them know. 
That if you're going to follow me, there's a couple of things that you have to understand. That the keys of the kingdom and why I came and what's in my heart and the purpose of why I came and the purpose of the kingdom is this. Is that you, you hide your life in my life. I'm not living inside of your life. You're living inside of my life. And in the same way that I laid down my life, you're laying down your life. And in the same way that I'm laying down my life to ransom my life for many people, so I will ask of you. Sometimes it's not easy to hear. But the truth is there. Jesus came for the brokenhearted and the destitute in spirit. Luke 4, 18 and 19. This is a a quote from the, the book of Isaiah here in the Messianic prophecy that Isaiah wrote and Jesus was in the the temple not the temple the synagogue he was in a place of teaching and he grabbed a scroll and he reads from it and he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim me proclaim the good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free proclaim the year of the Lord's favor He sets it down and he says prophetically of himself, a fulfillment of himself. Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Saying this is what I came to do. This is what I came to do. Is that I'm I'm focusing in, I'm looking in on those who are broken. Those who are bound. Those who are in captivity. Those who are blind. Both not just just in their spirit but we'll see over and over again in in their physical eyes too. It's amazing what Jesus did. How many blind eyes Jesus opened. To set those who are oppressed free to proclaim the the year of the Lord's favor. It's amazing and I hope that you see a trend. And we understand that there's many things that Jesus came to do. But we we know this. That at the the hub, the nucleus of why Jesus came. It was to, to bring those far lost, broken, hurting. Those who are are poor in spirit close to Him. That they would know the love of the Father to redeem fallen mankind. How does God see the lost? This is important for us to hear. In this same chapter in Luke 15 that this parable of the lost son exists, there's two other parables that are also there. And they are two, uh, they, they also are about lost things. The lost sheep and the lost coin. We talked about this a few months ago in our series on parables. And I'm not going to regurgitate all of these parables to you, but you probably know them. Some of you know them. A man had a hundred sheep, one got lost. He left the 99 to go after the one. He rejoices and calls his friends when he finds the one. A woman has ten coins, loses one. She sweeps and cleans her house. Anybody ever lose the remote? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I realized? Sidetrack just a second if I can. I don't bunny trail often, but when I do, it's important. Um, I just now, I know I'm tardy to the party, guys, so you can make fun of me. I just now realize my phone is my remote. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I praise you. Because <laughs> my kids love to play a game with me. It's called hide the remote in places I'll never find it. And so, now that I know that, I'm, I'm, no, I'm so much happier inside. It's beautiful, okay? All right. This woman, sorry, you guys are like, that wasn't worth it. We all have that app, and we've had it for months, so, duh. This woman loses ten, uh, one coin out of ten. She searches, she turns her house upside down, she finds it, she rejoices, she calls her friends, she has a party. This is what I want you to see because it's the almost verbatim the same phrasing that you see after both of these two parables is Jesus' explanation on the reflection of his heart and heaven's heart in light of this. And in Luke 15, 7, he says this after the lost sheep. I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then after the lost coin in verse 10, Luke 15, 10, he says this, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels 
and the angels of God over one sinner who repents. How does Jesus value the lost? They are preciously, precious, very precious, insanely precious to Him. If they're precious to Jesus, they must be precious to us. If they're precious to Jesus, they have to be precious to us. How far does the grace of Jesus extend? Because sometimes I understand that we get, I've gotten some roadblocks to say, "Mm, I love people to a certain extent, but I don't know. I don't know. You don't, Jesus, you don't know that person. I just want to read this to you. I hope you guys are okay. In 1 Timothy 1, this is Paul speaking about the extent, his revelation of the extent of God's grace. This is a beautiful passage. I'm going to start in verse 13. Paul's speaking about himself, and he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the first or the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. You don't get a better description of the depth of the grace of God, the, 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 the place to which the grace of God will go to rescue somebody, than this description from Paul's own life. A blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. We read about this in the account of Acts, don't we? We know he's the one that spearheaded Stephen Stoning. We know he was a killer of Christians. We know he persecuted the church. We know he was a Jesus hater. He was open and zealous about it. But he says this, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. And then he begins to implore people that might hear, both those who are far from God and those who feel as though they're close to Him, to understand the magnitude of the grace and the extent of the grace that Jesus will go to to rescue those who are far from Him. And in essence, this is what he's saying, is that there is not a place where sin can bring you That mercy, the mercy of Jesus will not extend to. There is not a sin or depravity of man where the mercy and grace of Jesus will not go to. To reconcile them and to bring them into salvation and eternal life. How does this change our perspective? Because otherwise I'm simply preaching to the choir today. Because if it's a reflection of the heart of God, it must be a reflection of our heart too. If it is a reflection of the heart of God, it must be a reflection of our heart too. All right. So how does this affect us? And I want to just close with this. And going back to this idea of the love of the Father in this parable, the lost son. And, and, and when I think about the scriptures on why, why Jesus came to earth, and when I think about the joy that heaven expresses and that he expresses when somebody comes to faith, how do I respond to my need to carry that same gospel within me? I began to think about the position of the good son in this parable and this, <laughs> what we call the good son. And how sometimes my heart reflects that. And how I need to protect my heart and how I need to allow the Holy Spirit to recondition my heart so that I begin to see things and love things and love 
those who are far from Jesus the same way that he does. I had this thought, and it's a strong thought, and it shook me. And it's almost as if I heard God say this to me. If I say that I love people, if I say that I love people, truly love people, and I do not share the gospel with them, I'm deceiving myself. I'm lying. See, it's, they're inseparable truths. And this isn't to, to, to try to shame or, or put a burden on anybody's life, but the person who introduced you to the gospel loved you. The person who brought you to Jesus loved you. And in the greatest act of love that we celebrate every Sunday and every day, when we come and we celebrate that, that gift of love is the greatest demonstration of love that anybody could ever see. But sometimes it's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? And if we're all honest, and I know, I, I know listen, I'm speaking to myself this morning because I don't want to put condemnation on anybody but I do think there is a stirring that the Holy Spirit wants us to do to renew our eyes and to renew our hearts and our passion, our conviction to this place. But sometimes there's a bit of a struggle. And so I want to give you a couple of keys that begin to protect your heart and prepare you and say, God, if, if, if you're willing, if you're, if you're willing to do this, these things will, will create life in you. And begin to create boldness in you maybe to share the gospel with somebody. So the first thing is this. Prayer. Prayer. In Matthew 9, I'm going to read a scripture to you that some of you have heard before. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. But I want to just backtrack a little bit on that. And, and, and talk about Matthew 9 as a whole. Because Jesus had a big day in Matthew 9. It's a beautiful day. I'm going to give you a, a summary of Jesus' day in Matthew 9. Jesus heals the, a paralyzed man, a man that was lowered through the roof. We know that story. That's a good story. Friends break open the roof, lower him down. Jesus heals him. Jesus calls Matthew, who was in the tax collector camp, which was like a real bad sinner. Matter of fact, there was Pharisees around him that were like, why do you hang out with, with tax collectors, Jesus? And he goes, because I've come, not for those who are healthy and whole but for those who are sick we just read that scripture that's Matthew's account and then he goes on and he, he heals the woman with the issue of the blood remember that story There's, he's in a crowd and he is being like swarmed and this woman says look she's had an issue of blood for a very 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 long time and she goes look I'm not going to be able to talk to him but if I could just touch his garment if I could just touch the hem of his garment and she reaches through in a desperation move and just grabs the hem of his garment. He turns around and says, what just happened? Somebody just pulled on me. And his disciples were like, it's like everybody around you, Jesus. He goes, no, no, no. Somebody's faith just pulled on me. It's the woman with the issue of blood. He heals her. And then he goes on at that same moment and raises a synagogue leader's daughter. And a synagogue leader uh, presumably would have been somebody who would have been on the fence, maybe associated more along the lines with the Pharisee, guys who were out there going, we don't really know about this Jesus guy, or all out going, he, he's, a, he's a blasphemer. But this particular synagogue leader had a problem, and his problem was this, is that his daughter was dying and dead. And he knew that there was something different about Jesus. And he goes, Master, will you please come and heal my daughter? And he finds out that she's dead. And Jesus looks at, her and goes, looks at him and goes, no, she's not dead. She's asleep. And raises this, this girl back to life. From there, Jesus goes and heals two blind men that cry out to him. And the testimony of their healing begins to fill the region. They begin to tell the region about Jesus and from there, he casts out, cast out a demon from a mute man. Why am I telling you all this? Because it's summarized at the end of Matthew chapter 9. In verse 35, it says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think that sometimes, and there is a small bit of conviction, and I'm I'm not trying to lay anything heavy on you guys today, so please don't misunderstand. Grace in the name of Jesus. But I think that my, my thinking got mixed up. And the word of God began to fix me as I read Matthew 9. You know what Jesus never asks us to do? Is to pray for the lost. You know who Jesus asks us to pray for? Us. To go. Why? Because the lost is obvious. Matthew 9 shows us that. Jesus couldn't turn around without finding a need. He couldn't turn around without finding a need. But what he needed was this. A people whose hearts are filled with the same love as his. A people whose hearts are filled with the same courage and the power as his. To go and to meet the need of those who are broken and distressed. And he says, listen, don't pray for the lost. If you can't see the lost, hmm, pray for the harvester. You know, what's really interesting about this passage as well is that when you flip the page over in your Bible, boom, it's Matthew 10. And what does Jesus do? He sends them out two by two. (laughs) He's like, oh, you pray, let's go. (laughs) See, there's something a little bit scary and awesome about that, isn't there? Isn't there? Is that when we get infused with this wonderful grace, we begin to see things differently. I'm not kidding you guys that if you pray this prayer, it's a bold prayer. It's a... It's a dangerous prayer. That if you pray, God, begin to fill my heart with that as a harvester. Begin to prepare my heart as a harvester. Give me eyes to see. Begin to fill my heart to see the compassion. And have compassion and see the brokenness of other people. What's going to happen is you're going to be at the McDonald's drive-thru. And all of a sudden, you're going to see something. You're going to be at the line at Starbucks and you're going to see something. You're going to be in your workplace and that person who's always been talking to you, when they say the next thing, you're going to see something different. And it's going to provoke you. And it's going to give you an opportunity. And the reason why Jesus said this, he said, look, pray for the harvesters. Pray to send out harvesters. Pray for those who carry the the, the weight of my power on them. And the reason why is this is because there's something, if we're honest, that confronts us when it comes to sharing the gospel. And Jesus understood that. And he understood that the only way that we get over that is by having renewed perspective and renewed heart, but also being filled with his power Because sometimes the hardest thing to do is to open up our mouth if we're honest. Second thing is perspective. Justin, you can come on up, man. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 18. It says this, from from now on we regard no one. I I, I spoke this last week a little bit. From from now on we regard no one from from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And all this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In order to, to love and to love the lost, in order to, to go to the lost, we have to see the lost the way Jesus does. And Paul writes this here in just a very poignant and powerful way. And he says this, no longer do we regard, do we regard anyone from a worldly point of view. And when you look at this word in, in the Greek, what it is, is a perspective specifically around the way a Jew would look at a Gentile. Again, just digging a little bit deeper here than the surface. Is that Paul understood who he was writing to. He was writing to in part, a group of people who came out of or were still in the Jewish faith but had accepted Jesus as Messiah. But as part of their Jewishness, something that they held on to was a disdain for the Gentile, 
And what Paul was writing is this, is he was looking at him and saying, listen, that when you came into Christ, you don't regard, you don't have the perspective like you used to have. Your perspective needs to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to renew your perspective. There's nobody that is too unworthy of the grace of Jesus. And the only way you're going to believe that is by beginning to see them in a different light. To see them the way that the Father sees them. Now we don't have that problem today, do we? Or do we? Or do we? In all grace and all gentleness, have we drawn too many lines? Have we put up too many walls? Have we camped out on sides too distinctly and forfeited the message of grace in the gospel? Have we decided to protect the kingdom? That's not the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. I don't know. We live in a tough world, don't we? We live in a divisive world, don't we? We live in an opinionated world, for sure. But one thing I'm going to tell you is this. That if our heart or our language or our perspective ever gets tainted from anything other than the picture that God has for people, then we've lost track somewhere. And in order to love what Jesus loves, our perspective has to be renewed and we have to let the Holy Spirit do it. There are times in our life we have to hit the reset. There are times in our life we have to say, God, I'm sorry. I held a wrong opinion. There are things distinctly in my life, things that I have said that God has reeled me in like a big old fish. Rewound it and said, Andy, do you remember what you said about this person or about this idea? I want to show you the extent of my grace. And I'll go, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And I'm, I'm just regurgitating a conversation between me and the Lord, if that's okay. And so... I'll go, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have thought that, said that, held that perspective. And God goes, yeah, you're right, Andy. But you didn't just become offensive or, or, or create a line that you shouldn't have. You put a restriction on my grace. And that's not Okay. See, because anytime we define things through our opinions, through our nature, through whatever, our experiences, all that stuff, and they don't line up with the grace of Jesus, we're not just creating a line or a border or a wall between us and somebody else. What we're doing is that we're also putting a restriction on where we are willing to extend the grace of Jesus. It's a leash. That's not okay. There's a better way. There's a better way. I hope you guys are all right. I don't want to sound too heavy. But this is the word of God. So don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. I'm still your friend. We'll go have coffee afterwards. Just kidding. Pursuit. The last one is pursuit. Just reading a little bit further down in 2 Corinthians 5, 19-21, it says this. Paul goes on and says that God, was, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin. Thank you, Jesus. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful thing. Our calling is sure. 
the motivation that will bring, the, the calling that will bring joy to your life, it's sure. And it's this. Be somebody who carries the ministry of reconciliation. And that means this. There will come a time if you ask the Lord, make me a harvester. Set my eyes in the place where I see people the way you do. And I don't have a limit on the grace. There's going to come a time where you get to share your story of what Jesus did for you. There's going to be a time that maybe you get to pray for somebody. And I, I want to tell you guys, listen, I know, I know that the, sometimes this, this message, the tone of it can be misimplied. But I want to say that Freedom Christian Fellowship is doing this because I hear testimonies of people in their workplaces taking the opportunity of God opening up doors and, and, and sharing with people and praying with people. And I want to tell you to keep it up, keep it up because this is a calling that we all share together that brings us great joy. It brings fulfillment in your life. And we'll say keep up the good work and keep going, keep going. Don't stop, don't stop. And here's why, because this is how we partner with the glory of heaven. This is why Jesus came. This is what matters to Jesus. This is what pleases His heart. This is what heaven rejoices for. And this is what we get to partner with Him. Do you know, most people don't know this, that there are crowns, like, you know, Miss America, Miss Portnaches, whatever you want to be, right? Crowns. I went to one of those, actually, not too long ago. They're fun. That girl gets my niece got a crown. She was like, that's right. She, she was so humble and so sweet. But if it was me, I would have been like, that's right. It's my crown. Try to take it. I'd have been negotiating a five-year reign. Like, come on. Let me, let me just stand for a while. There are crowns. I just wanted to make y'all laugh for a minute. There are crowns, as the Scripture says, that we, we receive on this earth, that when we go and we take our last breath and we stand before Jesus, that we're going to lay at His feet as glory to Him to say, oh, this was yours, because in the presence of the beauty and the majesty of Jesus, we're going to be overjoyed to lay it down. And one of those crowns is the crown of a soul winner. Somebody who tells somebody about Jesus. That's all that means. There's only five of them, y'all. One of them is a soul winning crown. It matters to Jesus. And so we have an opportunity. Let me step back for a second because... Sometimes I struggle with this. There have been times that I know I have missed. Oh, I missed it. I'm going to be honest with you. There was a time last week I was at a gas pump and a guy kicked up a conversation with me. And he started telling me about his life. I didn't even, I did not even ask. And he said most of my family thought I'd be dead by now. I'm just out partying. <clears throat> And I felt that, uh, I said, man, no, 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 man, you're going to live a long life. Finished pumping my gas, and I put it in. And as I, he drove away first, and as I got in my car and I pulled out the gas station, I said, I, it wasn't the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Lord was saying, I wanted you to speak, but the, but the conviction of my heart was like, Andy, you missed it. You missed it. I know God's grace is bigger than that. But you know what Jesus wanted to do is he wanted to partner with me in the joy that heaven celebrates because that person needed to hear. I said, oh Lord, I am so sorry. But we'll get them next time. And even if I sound stupid, I'm going to try. Because I understand that sometimes that little bit of hesitancy, man, it's hard. So this is what I want to tell you. Listen, if you're learning to fish, start in a little lake. Put a little worm on your hook. Don't even throw it out. Drop it over the edge. 
Maybe the words that you share are, hey, come to church with me. Or, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Or, hey, I know that God loves you. And that's it. And as your confidence builds, maybe you throw it out a little further and you go, look, I've been praying for you. And I want you to know that you're in my, in my heart. And I want you to know that God thinks about you. And then maybe you throw it out a little further and there's an opportunity to sit down with somebody at lunch or to have a moment that just seems unpredictable and odd. And you go, I want to tell you what Jesus did in my life. And here's what happens when you get to that moment. Is I don't want you to think about your words. I want you to let it rip. You don't bang the Bible at them. You don't start showing them in Scripture all the things. I want you just to share in your heart in the simplest, most authentic way what Jesus did for you. That's how easy it is. That's what Jesus asked us to do. Paul didn't write, Oh, you Jews who are far from God who have not received Jesus as Messiah, you Gentiles who are wicked and worship many gods, let me show you over and over again and over again through history, through the philosophers, and through the Bible what God says. And what He says is this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, I implore you, the one who reconciled me, and this is my story, is that if he could save somebody like me, the chief, the first sinner, then he can save you. There's not an extent of your sin that grace won't cover. I implore you. And if we would all pray that and say, God, would you begin to create fresh vision inside of me and, and open my eyes to see, I promise you the Holy Spirit will. He will. He will. And oh, what fun we will have. What joy we will have. What life will come to us when we begin to get out there. It is way more fun to be on the court than it is to be on the sidelines. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Again, for the gift of your beautiful grace. Oh, you've been so good. And you are so good. Father, for those who feel far from you today, Lord, those that might be sitting in this place and those who may, we may be connected to that aren't here, we just declare your great grace over them, the knowledge of the love that you have for them. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to the understanding of the love and the joy that you have for us. And just like Paul said, I, I, I just declare over you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Come to the knowledge of the love of Jesus. It's simple. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I confess you as Lord and Savior, the one who went to the cross for me, who died for me, who whose blood covers my sin. I receive your love. I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your peace. And God, I pray that in our hearts today that you would begin to stir our hearts in a fresh way. God, if there's a limit of your grace in our life, God, where maybe we've drawn a line, Lord, we just ask that you knock it down. The Holy Spirit, that you begin to, Lord, create in us a fresh understanding of how you see people, Lord, that we would see people in a new way, Lord, whether they're in our own house or they're in our neighborhood or our workplace, Lord God, that we would see them in a new way, the way that you see them, the way that their lives look touched by your grace, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We ask for boldness, God, that as we pray, we pray for ourselves that we would be the harvesters that you would give us eyes, Lord, but you would give us courage, Lord. That you would begin to help us see, Lord, and, and speak when we need to speak, God. Even if it's as simple as just come to church or if it's, hey, I'm praying for you. Lord, if there's an opportunity to share our story, just to, 
just to say something, God, in, in lines with our story that might be, bring life and bring the truth of who you are, Jesus, to somebody, then give us boldness, God. Lord, ignite us for the things that you are passionate for in Jesus, the things that you came to earth to, to redeem and to save, Lord, because we were all them, Lord. We were the bad son and the good son. And we thank you that your position is the only position that did not change. Today I declare over every person a fresh touch of your grace and your love, Jesus. Let it overwhelm us. God, I thank you for the testimonies that are flowing from this place. And Lord, I just thank you for courage and strength for that to keep going. Lord, and joy to be connected in, Lord, with a change that we see that comes from you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Won't you stand to your feet? All right. If you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable, don't do it. Put up your X sign. Like, don't touch me sign. But if you could just reach over to the person to your left or right. Don't, don't make it awkward or weird, please. If somebody doesn't want to be touched, don't touch them. <laughs> but I just want you just to just say thank you, Jesus, for this person on my right and on my left. God, we thank you for the beautiful family at Freedom Christian Fellowship, Lord. Father, every need that they carry, God, whether it's a need in their physical body or their soul, Lord, their future, their finances, whatever it is, Jesus, we ask you to meet by your grace and by your strength and by your resource. And Lord, I just thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit flowing through each person. Just a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit, I pray over every person, a revelation of your love for them, and that you pursue, pursue, pursue. Lift up every head of those who are broken or dejected. Cause everybody's eyes to see the fullness of your grace. To let your mercy overshadow them, I pray, Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. All right, listen, don't forget, next Sunday we'll have our Easter service. Invite somebody at 10.30, and then for those of you that want to get up early and join us at the park, 7.30 in the morning. We'll see you next week.